Two weeks ago, as we gathered in this space, we looked at Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost found in Acts 2, and we, we talked about that first kind of almost utopian picture of life in the early church, the story of persons choosing to share life together in the way of Christ. Today, we have another sermon in Acts, this time from Paul found in Acts chapter 17. And chapter 17 is all about the stories of Paul preaching and sharing the good news, sharing the gospel message, and all the mixed responses that he receives from anger, jealousy, violence, and of course, some who receive the good news and choose to join the group, choose to share life together. We're going to look at the story um, about his time in Athens. Being in Athens was a big deal. It is the empire's, empire's most stunning center of public life. I, Athens is the height of Greek religion and culture, the center for philosophical debate. And as you'll hear, Paul puts himself right into the mix with Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. I'm going to be reading from um, Acts 17, verses 16 through 34. And as we prepare to hear God's word this day, let us pray. Eternal God, in the reading of the scripture, may your word be heard. In the meditations of our hearts, may your words be known. And in the faithfulness of our lives, may your word be shown. Amen. So reading from Acts 17, verses 16 through 34. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he argued in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons, and also in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Also, some Epicurean and Stoic philosophers debated with him. Some said, what does this babbler want to say? Others said, he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign divinities. This was because he was telling the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. So they took him and brought him to the airports and asked him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are now presenting? It sounds rather strange to us, so we would like to know what it means. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners living there would spend their time in nothing but telling or hearing something new. Then Paul stood and stood in front of the Areopagus and said, Athenians, I see how extremely religious you are in every way. For as I went through the city and looked carefully at the objects of your worship, I found among them an altar with the inscription to an unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it. He who is Lord of heaven and earth does not live in shrines made by human hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mortals life and breath and all things. From one ancestor he made all nations to inhabit the whole earth, and he allotted the times of their existence and the boundaries of the places where they would live, so that they would search for God and perhaps grope for him and find him. Though indeed he is not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. 
as even some of your own poets have said. But we too are his offspring. Since we are God's offspring, we ought not to think that the deity is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of mortals. While God has overlooked the times of human ignorance, now he commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has fixed a day on which he will have the world judged in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. When they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some scoffed, but others said, we will hear you again about this. At that point, Paul left them. But some of them joined him and became believers, including Dionysius, the Arabogite, and a woman named Marius, and others with them. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. When we looked at Peter's sermon in Acts 2, two weeks ago, um, I said that this was a sermon where Peter tells the story of Jesus and then offers an invitation. Repent, be baptized, receive. Paul does the same in Athens. He tells the story of his faith, but he goes about it just a little bit differently. He's speaking to a very different crowd. He looks around, and he is not only surrounded by the intellectual elites, the top in the world of philosophy, those who, as we heard, spend their time in nothing but telling or hearing something new. He's addressing philosophical and religious thinkers while standing in the midst of countless idols, objects of worship and meaning to various deities. So he finds his inn. Look, he says, there's one altar over there that has this inscription, to an unknown God. Let me tell you a story. A story about this unknown God. God that you do not know, but I do. You can know this God. God knows you. Paul tells the story of a creator God, the God who made the world and everything in it, Lord of heaven and earth. Paul tells the story of a generous God, a God of grace, God who gives to all mortals life and breath and all things. From one ancestor, God made all nations. We, you and I, Paul says, we are God's children. And God is beyond any image or imagining we could create or have. We ought not to think that the deity is like gold or silver or stone, Paul says. An image formed by the art and imagination of mortals. God is bigger than any image we could create, bigger than any box, any boundary we try and define. And Paul tells the story of a God of accountability, judgment, and redemption. God commands all people everywhere to repent for a better way. But have no fear. God has given us Jesus as our way and as our redeemer. I kind of love the follow-up to this sermon. Some scoffed and others said, we will hear you again about this. That's not what every preacher wants to hear. We'll give you another try. Paul, like Peter in Acts 2, 
isn't just sharing the gospel. Paul isn't just telling a story to invite others in. Paul is naming and lifting what it is he understands about God to be true. What it is about God that calls to him, draws him in, what it is about the story that has meaning for his life, for the life of those listening to him that day. Two weeks ago, as I read Peter's sermon and we talked about the early church, I also talked about how when I engage with friends of mine who do not attend church, I'm forced to think about why I choose church, continue to choose church, bring my kids, that I have to think about what meaning it holds for me. We come to this place today and we read this passage that's been read and shared throughout Christian history and we name that the same thing is true. We're not just reading a passage of scripture because it's scripture. We're not just telling a story. We are, with these words, asking ourselves what it is we understand about God to be true. What it is about God that calls us, draws us in, has meaning for our lives and for those listening and worshiping alongside us today. Because what we believe about God shapes what we believe about who and how we should be. What we believe about God has something to say about how we choose to live, how we choose to share life together, how we choose to be present in the world. Within the story of U.S. history, African-American voices have turned to Paul's sermon, particularly verses 25 and 26. He himself gives to all mortals life and breath and all things. From one ancestor, he made all nations to inhabit the whole earth. These African-American voices, they used this ancient sermon, this ancient passage of scripture for their political rhetoric, advocating for human rights, for equality, for unity. What they believed about God shaped how they viewed their own humanity and empowered them to call out those around them to see them as fully human as well. Benjamin Banneker, living from 1731 to 1806, he was one of those voices. An African-American free person, a third of the team who surveyed and planned um, Washington, D.C., he used this text to name the intellect and character of African-Americans, to fight against the dangerous rhetoric to black inferiority that was being asserted by then Secretary of State Thomas Jefferson. He used this passage and what it says about who God is and therefore who we are. From one ancestor, God made all nations. He used this to claim his place in the world and the place of his brothers and sisters to challenge the voices saying something other. Frederick Douglass used this verse in his abolitionist papers and speeches to appeal to white Christians. For these two men, what they found in scripture was a God who created everyone, 
A God who bestowed God's own image on each and every person. A God who told them they were not what the world said they were. They were God's beloved children. What they believed to be true about God called them to affirm their own humanity so they could challenge others to affirm the humanity of all. We come to this place. We read this passage and others like it, passages that have been read and shared throughout Christian history, and we name that we are not just reading a passage of Scripture because it's Scripture. We are not just telling a story. We are, with these words, asking ourselves what it is we understand about God to be true. What about this has meaning for our lives and for those listening and worshiping alongside us today? Because what we believe about God shapes what we believe about how and who we should be. What we believe about God has something to say about how we choose to live, how we choose to share life together, how we choose to be present in the world as the body of Christ. What we believe to be true about God shapes the story we tell, the invitation. We offer. And scripture is full of voices naming what they believe to be true about God. That's why we read it. That's why we study it. That's why we lift it. We heard at the end of the uh, women's chorus pieces of Psalm 66. And that psalm, the psalmist proclaims, come and see what God has done. God is awesome in God's deeds among mortals. It's the voice of a person of faith saying, come and see. Come and let me tell you what I know to be true about God. The meaning God has for my life. It's a hymn of praise that shifts to an individual song of thanksgiving. The psalmist is giving thanks for God's work in the world on behalf of all. God does what God does, the psalmist says, and our response is either to cringe or to worship. The psalmist lifts up thanksgiving in response to God's actions in the world, not for the benefit of one person, not so that one person can post a pic and put hashtag blessed, but to share the story, the story of God's work in the world so that all humanity may indeed be blessed. Share the story so that our faith offers joy and hope in a broken and hurting world. So that others are reminded of the marvel and wonder of God. What I love about this psalm, and this is true of most psalms, is there's this movement from singular to plural, from an individual lifting words of gratitude and praise to multiple voices in community doing the same. It's this back and forth of individuals inviting others into community to the community shaping individuals. And it just goes on and on. And this speaks true for us today. We find ourselves in different places across our journey of faith. That we ourselves go back and forth. But we're not always in the place to lift a song of praise. To say, come and see, God is great. 
But this too is part of the story we tell. If it's a Sunday on which it's difficult for us to praise God, we come and we trust that the rest of the baptized community of faith can carry us along with their song and worship until we can once again sing, come and see what God has done. You know, we are now six weeks, six weeks into the Easter season. So we're moving from a simple proclamation of Christ is risen to thinking about what does proclaiming Christ is risen mean? To question, how do we live in light of the resurrection? For Paul and for the psalmist, it's about naming and sharing the story of who God is, naming and sharing the story of God's redemptive work in the world through the person of Christ, naming and sharing what this story means. I hold all that and think about all that as I stand here and preach another sermon. I tried to do the math, and if I took, you know, 52 Sundays in a year times the years I've been doing this, it's about a thousand sermons. I'm sure it's more than that. Um, and I have to remind myself, I'm not simply preaching a sermon. We don't just come here and sing and pray and preach because that's the set list we're given or because we haven't found a better way to do this, but maybe there's some truth in that part. We come to this place to retell a story, to share a story in community. Because as one theologian says, we need the community so as not to forget who we truly are. We need other voices as Benjamin Binnaker and Frederick Douglass did, to call us out and remind us when we have forgotten our own story. We come and we reflect on what we know to be true about God. Because what we know to be true about God has something to say about how we choose to live, how we choose to share life together, how we choose to be present in the world as the body of Christ. We share the story, and we take hope in a story that is bigger than we are. And we take hope in ancient words that have been passed down from one generation to the next. The God who made the world and everything in it. God is Lord of heaven and earth. God does not live in shrines made by human hands. God himself gives to all mortals life and breath and all things. From one ancestor, God made all nations to inhabit the whole earth, so that they would search for God and find God, though indeed God is not far from each of us. For in God we live and move and have our being. Let us pray. Creator God, we pray for all who search for you. May they find their way in you. Bless us with lips that sing your praise and lives that tell the stories of all that you have done for us. Open our eyes to find you among us as we share your love with others. 
as we think about your world and all the broken places, we pray for all who are oppressed by governments or institutions, for those whose voices are not heard or believed, those with no one on their side. Bless us with a joy for justice and the strength to persevere as we work toward your coming realm. We pray for all who hunger and those who worry each day how they will care for their families. Bless us all with meaningful work and fill us with good things as we love and care for each other and find our sustenance in you. We pray for all who suffer the violence and scars of war, for all soldiers and their families, and all who live and serve in war-torn places. Give them courage in the face of fear. In times of trouble, do not let their feet slip. Bless us with your vision of peace, for you have made us one family by giving life and breath to all. <laughs> 